0: Uh, Well, the the reality is everybody's serving somebody. That's my big claim today, everybody is serving somebody. Uh, We live in a culture uh, that's pretty obsessed, Uh, it's it's highly individualistic, Uh, we're uh, quite obsessed with personal freedom, with our own uh, personal autonomy, Uh, and the reality is with advances in science and technology, we do actually have uh, more control over basically every aspect of our lives uh, than any generation before us. Uh, so it can be easy for us to, to start to think, to d- develop this kind of illusory world uh, where we think that we have absolute freedom, uh, where we've got the freedom to rule our own lives, to, to write the own, our own story for our lives, to establish our own legacy, uh, to make and follow our own rules because we are absolutely free, free to be and, and to become the people that we want to be. There's nothing holding you back, at least that's what our culture tells us. And of course, in the face of that, Christianity makes the radically countercultural claim that there's no such thing as absolute freedom. Right? That the only one who is perfectly and absolutely free is God. He sits in, uh, you know, Psalm 115 God sits in heaven and does, uh, sits in the heavens and does what he pleases. He is absolutely free. Uh, but not us. For us, there's no such thing as absolute freedom. We, we, we get that physically, we understand that. We might not think about it in, in concrete terms all the time, but we do understand. Uh, you understand, uh, perhaps you were born in Africa, but most of us aren't free to be born in Africa. You know, we, we just, that option's not on the table for us. Or I'm not free to have blue eyes or to be 15 feet tall. I'm not free to have perfect vision. Right? Some cards have been dealt to me, and I don't have freedom to change them. Right? So physically, all of us understand that, that, uh, f- that we're not absolutely free. And, and Christianity says that the same is true spiritually. Spiritually, none of us is absolutely free. Why? Because everybody serves somebody. It's what Bob Dylan said in 1979. Some of you have heard me quote this song before. Uh, he, he wrote the song, You've Got to Serve Somebody... Uh, And he says in that song, uh, you may be an ambassador to England or France, you may like to gamble, you may like to dance. Uh, You may be the heavyweight champion of the world, you may be a socialite with a long string of pearls, uh, but you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Everybody serves somebody. Bob Dylan got it. And of course, the reason we're all serving somebody in our lives is that God created us to serve Him. So service, uh, worshipping someone, serving someone, it's kind of built into our DNA as human beings. It's a part of our default operating system, as it were. It's unavoidable. Even if you're not serving God, uh, you will be serving someone or something. It's just a part of being a human being. And, of course, the problem is that anything or anyone that we serve apart from God becomes an oppressive and enslaving master. Now that's what Jesus was getting at in John chapter 8, wasn't it? You remember these words from Jesus in John chapter 8 where he says, everyone who sins, a way of describing sin, everyone who gives their life to serving someone or something other than God, everyone who sins, Jesus says, is a slave to sin. Bob Dylan's right because he agrees with Jesus. Everybody serves somebody. So the only question really is who or what are you going to serve? Who's going to be your master? Are you going to offer yourself in service to God or offer yourself in service to sin. Uh, And in today's passage, Paul's urging us, and particularly those of us who are Christians, who by faith uh, have been set free from the penalty and power of sin, uh, he's urging us uh, to offer ourselves freely to God. Uh, And he's he's going to give us four reasons why we should do that. Uh, But first, uh, we've got to recap the objection that Paul's addressing in this whole chapter, Romans chapter 6. We should recap it because Paul restates it in verse 15. Have a look there. uh, In verse 15, Uh, Paul says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Uh, If you were here last week, you'll recognize that objection, right? It's a similar objection to to what's found back in verse 1, but it's from a slightly different angle, right? So in verse 1, the objection was that living under the power of God's grace will only lead you to continue in sin. It'll only lead to immorality. Why? But because if you think that God's going to forgive you uh, for anything that you do, uh, simply because you trust in Jesus, uh, then you've got no real incentive for doing good. Right? If the objection says, if you want, to be se- if you want people to be serious uh, about being good and doing good in the world, uh, they have to live, they have to know that they're living their lives under the power of God's law. They have to know that that punishment could come at any moment, that condemnation could come, that rejection could come, and that's the the big stick, as it were, that will lead people to be good. Uh, But remember last week, we finished in verse 14, if you've got Romans 6 open, uh, and Paul says that Christians aren't under the power of God's law anymore. They don't live under the law uh, in the sense that we're not saved by the power of God's law, but by the power of God's grace. So, So we're saved by the power of God's grace and we live are under, uh, in the power of God's grace. And now Paul's going to come back to God's law uh, in the next chapter, in Romans chapter 7. So he's got more he wants to say uh, about God's law. So come along next week and you'll hear all about that. Uh, But the objection here in verse 15 uh, is, but surely, Paul, surely, surely telling people that they're free from the authority and power of God's law is just going to give them a license to sin, Similar to verse one, but focused on the law in particular. And of course, the the person uh, who has an objection like this, this hypothetical person, uh, has a particular view of what it means to become a Christian. What 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 it means to be saved. Uh, maybe you could, uh, I could explain it by this, uh, when I wanted to have the freedom to drive, like when my eyes were better and I actually did have the freedom to drive, when I wanted the freedom to drive I, I did a whole lot of tests uh, and then at the end of the tests uh, they gave me a license and I had the license in my pocket so I had the freedom to drive. It's similar, it's similar, this objection in verse 15 is saying that, that when you tell people that they can be saved by grace simply by faith in Jesus, you're basically saying them, uh, telling them that they've got a free ticket to heaven in their pocket that they can cash in at any moment. It doesn't have to change how you live. It doesn't have to affect anything else you do uh, because you've got a ticket to heaven in your pocket, you see. You've got a license to get into heaven uh, and it doubles as a license to sin. The freedom to sin. And now, of course, Paul says that's rubbish. It's a horrible understanding of what it means to become a Christian. It's got a clear understanding that Christ uh, did something for you, but it doesn't have any understanding of the fact that Christ is now in you, by the power of his Spirit, empowering you to live a completely different way. Uh, And that's what we're going to talk about today. So Paul says, by no means, uh, that should never be the case in the life of a Christian. It's just unthinkable for Paul that that a Christian who understands that through faith in Christ, uh, they have died to sin, the penalty for their sin has been paid, the power of sin has been broken in their life. uh, And so it's unthinkable that that a genuine Christian would think that they could just continue on in habitual sin uh, as if they're controlled and enslaved by sin. If they really understand what God has done for them in Christ, they'll be offering themselves freely, not to sin, but to God, Paul says. And he gives four reasons for that. Uh, The first reason uh, is, he says, Offer yourselves freely to God because it's your only alternative to slavery to sin. Uh, We're going to spend most time on the first two of these reasons. Okay, So a bit of time in verse 16. Uh, Look at verse 16. Uh, don't you know, Paul says, that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, uh, you are slaves of the one that you obey, whether you are slaves of sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. So there are really, there are really three different parts to this verse. Three parts. The first part uh, is where it's clear that Paul uh, agrees with Jesus, uh, who agrees with Bob Dylan, right? Everybody serves somebody, in fact, Paul, you'll see, boils it down even more than Bob Dylan because he basically says you've only got two options. Right? Bob Dylan says, oh, you could be serving any number of different things. Uh, but Paul says, essentially, you can be a slave to sin, right? you can obey sin as your master, or, or you can be a slave to obedience, which is to obey God as your master. You'll notice what option's not on the table. There's no option on the table of being a slave to no one. Everybody serves somebody. And you say, well that's fine, I'm just going to serve myself, right? I'm not going to be anyone's slave. And that's, how, that's the approach that some people take, but of course in doing that, you're becoming a slave of sin. Because what, what is sin by definition? Uh, it's living uh, a life uh, in service of yourself rather than service of God. It's living a life where you're the centre of the universe rather than God being at the centre of the universe. Everybody serves somebody. Your only choice is who or what you're going to serve. Which master are you going to offer yourself to? Which leads to the second part of this verse, uh, which is how do you know which master you're offering yourself to? Paul gives us a bit of a litmus test here. Look what he says. Uh, It's about who you obey, Paul says. Don't you know, Paul says, that when you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one that you obey. But right, obedience is the litmus test of who you're enslaved to of who your master is what you say with your mouth is important but you might say that Jesus is your master and still not obey Jesus as your master if your life is completely unchanged by your, your union with Jesus Paul says then perhaps someone or something else is your master you're serving the one, you're offering yourself to the one who actually exercises some sort of control over how you live, who influences all the different parts of your life. That's what Paul's saying. The one who changes you is probably changes you most is probably your master. One writer has put it like this uh, Whatever controls you is your master. In the end, the person who seeks power is controlled by power. Uh, The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by the very people they are desperate to please. Uh, You do not control yourself. You are controlled by whatever is your Lord and Master. So I wonder who you're serving. You want to take a moment to, to reflect on that? Who do you think is the master of your life? It's probably whatever it, is, whatever it is that you kind of love most, you're most passionate about, you, you treasure most. It's probably what captures your imagination. You know, you've got a, a spare moment in the day, and this is the thing that you just can't help daydreaming about. It might be the thing that's your worst nightmare. You know, if this happened, I don't think I could ever go on, that kind of thing. It's the thing that, that I just couldn't cope if that was taken from me. And maybe it's what you pin your hopes on, right? If only I had this, everything would be okay in my life. Things would be sorted out. But who or what are you serving? Who's the master of your life? Or you can offer yourself freely to God as your master, or you can offer yourself freely to sin as your master. Which brings us to the third part of this verse, which is why you should care who you offer yourself to. Some of you are like, oh, well, who cares, you know? Well, Paul says here that you should care because offering yourself uh, uh, to sin as your master is destructive. Well, you see, he's got these two uh, possible slaveries to, God, uh, to obedience and to sin, and two possible outcomes. So we'll talk more about this in verse 23. Uh, but in short, he says slavery to sin leads to death. Uh, because in choosing uh, sin, uh, you're rejecting God, the source of all life. Uh, and so the consequence of that uh, must be death. A Slavery to God, on the other hand, leads to righteousness, which is uh, living rightly in God's world. Wow. So uh, slavery to sin, right Just, let's be clear on this. Slavery to sin might seem enticing, at least for a moment. There's a bit of a thrill in rebelling against God and living life your own way. But in the end, it is destructive. Uh, it's destructive physically. Uh, because it leads to physical death in the end, Uh, but it's also destructive now. now. Let's say, for example, someone lives their life in service of their career. Their career, as it were, is their functional God. They set up their career as God. Their career is the thing that they're looking to for status and approval and value in life. And for a little while, that might go okay. It might look like it's fine on the surface, but it's not long according to Jesus, yeah, before that person is controlled and enslaved by their career. And it's destructive. Over time, they sacrifice all sorts of things on the altar of their career. Because that's what you do with gods, right? We don't go to an, an idol temple and, and make meat sacrifices, most of us. But we make all sorts of sacrifices on the altars of our gods. Other person who's serving their career might might sacrifice a a degree of intimacy in their marriage. They might sacrifice relationships with their kids. They might sacrifice a bit of their moral integrity. Because after all, you can't really get ahead in this industry uh, if you're serious about your morality as a Christian. Or they might sacrifice a bit of their physical health or their emotional health. Or they might even sacrifice their faith, because let's, well, let's be serious. It's really hard to be a Christian in lots of the fields we work in. They sacrifice all these things on the altar of their career, and it ends up being really destructive. Slavery to sin is always destructive. It leads to death in the end, but it's destructive now too. Uh, in, a, in a congregation uh, with uh, a bunch of families with children, perhaps this is a bit dangerous, but I think we see a similar pattern, and I have to see this in my own life, uh, where people decide to serve their children of, as God. We've got to be careful about this. Where we, we might set up our children as the ones who are going to give us meaning and purpose and significance in life. Uh, and in the end, that is destructive. It's, not, it's destructive for you as a parent, and it's destructive for the kids, because our kids weren't designed to bear the weight of being God, right? Either they'll be crushed because they can't live up to your expectations, or you'll be crushed because they can't live up to your expectations. It's usually a complex and messy mix of both of those things. Slavery to sin, right? Offering yourself in service to anything other than God is always destructive, destructive now destructive in eternity so first offer yourselves freely to god because it's your best option right in fact it's your only alternative to slavery to sin perhaps not a strong argument but an argument nonetheless second offer yourselves freely to god because uh, he's already set you free by the power of the gospel verse 17 or read from verse 17 Uh, But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. Uh, You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life uh, because of your human limitations. So how is it that we can have this transfer of slavery? You know, from slavery to sin to slavery uh, to God, Paul says, look at the, the verse, uh, he says it happens, verse 17, uh, when we obey from our heart. So when we kind of wholeheartedly obey, you know, wholeheartedly obey, we, we listen to, we trust and obey, what is it that we obey? Well, Paul says the pattern of teaching that has now claimed our allegiance, uh, which is uh, the NIV's way of saying, uh, now claimed our allegiance, I- is that uh, we've, been, uh, we've taken on a particular teaching. Oh, I think it's actually better to uh, read this as saying the pattern of teaching uh, that we have been entrusted to, that we've been committed to. So it's not so much about our commitment to a particular teaching, uh, but the, the, the way in which God has committed us to a particular pattern of teaching. God's given us over to this teaching. And uh, so Paul's saying that this change of slavery occurs when, when God entrusts us to a particular pattern of teaching. And of course, that pattern of teaching must be the gospel. right? It's what he's been talking about uh, so far in the book of Romans, particularly from chapter 3, verse 21. Uh, it's the good news of God's grace. God's grace to us so that we can be justified in his sight and declared innocent in his sight simply by faith in Christ. But, uh, a wonderful message of God's grace And Paul's saying it's that teaching that God entrusts you to when you become a Christian. It's that teaching that sets you free from slavery to sin. Because it's only by faith in Christ, death on the cross, remember those Ps from last week, that the penalty for your sin has been paid. The penalty was death and Christ has paid that on the cross. Uh, and the power of sin has been broken because sin, the only ultimate power that sin held over you was death. Uh, and if, Christ has, if you've already died with Christ, then the power of sin has been broken in your life. It's only through this good news of God's grace to us in the gospel that we, that, that we can be set free from slavery to sin. And if you have faith in Christ, which m- many, if not most of you do today, then you have already been set free from, the grain, uh, from sin by the power of the gospel, by this pattern of teaching. And so why would you go back to sin? That's basically what Paul's saying. It just doesn't make sense. Having been set free from sin, why would you go back? What makes more sense is to continue entrusting yourself to this pattern of teaching. To continue giving yourself over, offering yourself uh, to the implications of the gospel in your life. Working out the implications of the gospel. Uh, so that you have freedom from sin in Christ. Uh, but don't we all want increasing freedom from sin? Well, well, we're not going to be completely free from sin in this life. or We're not going to be perfect. But we want to experience more and more freedom from sin. Uh, and Paul's saying that happens as your whole life is entrusted to this pattern of teaching in the gospel of God's grace. So it's a little bit like, if you've done, I've done some uh, cognitive behavioural therapy before, some CBT, uh, maybe uh, some other people here have done that, Uh, and I'm not an expert in CBT, but the the basic idea is that if you can change someone's thinking patterns, over time you you can change their behaviour patterns. You change someone's thinking patterns, over time you can change their behaviour patterns. And Paul's saying something similar here about being a Christian. He's saying that as the pattern of teaching that God has entrusted to you in the gospel uh, changes your thinking patterns, right? as you can increasingly live your life in line with, in accordance with the pattern of teaching that God has entrusted to you, over time your behavior patterns will also be changed. Uh, and so you'll experience increasing freedom from sin. When sin tempts you increasingly, not all the time, I'm not, don't, don't hear me wrong, Not sinless perfection here, right? But increasingly, you'll be able to say no to sin. Because as you're wholeheartedly obeying the gospel, you'll be able to say to yourself, I know that in Christ I'm justified, not condemned. So there's no way that sin can condemn me. I know that I'm dead to sin and alive to God. So, I will not give myself, I uh, will not give into this temptation. I am a slave to righteousness, not to sin. So, bugger off, sin. You know, stop bullying me around. You hold no power over me anymore. And now, of course, as soon as Paul uses that expression, slaves to righteousness, you see, in the first part of verse 19, he kind of qualifies it a bit. See, he says, I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations, which is to say, uh, I'm using a metaphor that's a little bit inadequate because I really want you to get it. You know, I know you're a bit weak in your human limitations. I want you to get the the main gist of what I'm saying, but there are some limitations to this metaphor. The most, uh, the biggest limitation is that slavery to sin and slavery to righteousness aren't exactly the same slavery, right, in that slavery to sin is cruel and oppressive, Uh, And slavery to sin is something that comes naturally to us as human beings, uh, apart from Christ. That's what Paul unpacked at length from chapter 1 verse 18 to chapter 3 verse 20. It's kind of default settings of the human heart. Uh, Whereas slavery to God is gentle and liberating and life-giving. And it's a slavery that only comes to us supernaturally by the power of God's Spirit and His grace. So these slaveries aren't exactly the same, but they can be contrasted. And Paul says, offer yourselves freely to God because he's already set you free by the power of the gospel, by this pattern of teaching that he's entrusted to you. So why would you keep offering yourself to sin? It's only the path that leads to death anyway. A third, offer yourselves freely to God because it's the pathway of holiness. A second half of verse 19 uh, just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. Once again, you know, I did a great job in the kids' talk of opposites. Like, there are lots of contrasts in this passage, aren't there? They're here we've got two masters, impurity and righteousness. And these two masters, Paul says, lead us down two different paths so he's more talking about the paths here in in the next part he'll talk about the actual destinations but the paths here Paul says that the the path of impurity uh, leads to increasing uh, wickedness and the path of righteousness slavery to righteousness leads to ever increasing holiness I was trying to think about how to explain this I think maybe one of the best ways into it is is that one of the big themes in the Bible uh, is that you become like the God that you serve or worship If you read the big passages in Isaiah and the Psalms about idols, for example, you become like the gods that you serve and worship. I think that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying that if you live your life as a slave of God, the God of righteousness, the God who is holy, 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 Isaiah 6, then over time you will become like him. You're on the pathway to holiness, you become holy as he is holy. Which we know is not a once-off thing. It's you not know, so like, like offer, I offer myself to God and I, I'm holy. No, the, the, this appeal of Paul's here, for us to offer ourselves to God, is not a one-off thing. You know, some of you, oh yeah, I offered myself to God back in youth group. You know, they said, do you want to give your life to Jesus? I said, yes, I ticked the box, I walked down the front and someone prayed for me. I offered myself to God. But that's not, I'm sure you did do that. Right, but, but that's not quite what Paul's talking about here, is it? He, he's sort of talking about an ongoing offering ourselves to God. That's something that we have to do uh, moment by moment, each and every day. As sin confronts us, like a bully, in the schoolyard of our lives, we've got choices to make. Are we going to stand up to sin and say, you've got no power over me? I'm going offer, to offer myself to, to God... Or are we going to get pushed around by sin as if he's still our master? That's the idea here. Who's your master going to be? Uh, Are you going to offer yourself to sin or offer yourself uh, to God? Uh, Fourth, Uh, offer yourselves freely to God because it leads to eternal life. Uh, Let's read from verse 20. Uh, Paul says, when you were slaves to sin, Uh, You were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time uh, from the things that you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, uh, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord." Now, it's pretty clear, I think, if you look at the key words in these verses, that Paul is focused on outcomes here. Have a look at the words. He he talks about benefits. He talks about uh, reaping and wages and results. So everything is about, well, what's the end game here? Uh, What are the outcomes of these two different ways of life? And Paul's obviously contrasting the outcomes of slavery to sin with the outcomes of slavery to God. I've got a table I I want to flick up. Uh, Christopher Ash. Uh, I mentioned him last week. He's got a really helpful uh, book about uh, teaching the Book of Romans, and in it he has this table which summarizes these verses well. Uh, you might find that useful. I'm going to leave it up uh, just as we talk through uh, these verses. And so, first in verse 20, uh, you'll see uh, if you can look at the table and the Bible text at the same time, uh, one eye on each, uh, right? So uh, you'll see in verse 20 that when we were slaves to sin, there was some sort of freedom, perhaps not the freedom you might want. But it was the freedom from any control of righteousness. Look you know at what Paul's saying. He's saying you had absolutely no ability, indeed no desire, to live in God's right ways. That was the freedom that you had. You were free from righteousness. And perhaps at that time, it, that was something slightly appealing or attractive. I said earlier, they're like, I mean, my kids are like that. There's something attractive about doing what mum and dad don't want you to do, being a bit of a rebel. But, of course, in verse 21, we see that now that we've been set free from our slavery to sin, uh, we look back on that time and we're kind of ashamed of how we used to live. That's our present experience. Uh, I mean, imagine if everything that you used to do while you were a slave to sin, or perhaps stuff that you continue to struggle with now, uh, imagine if it was just beamed up on this screen for everyone to see. Whew! All of us have got lots of stuff we're ashamed of, right? That's what Paul's saying. Uh, But the truth is, even if you're not ashamed of stuff, or you don't don't feel much sense of guilt, uh, the reality is that living in slavery to sin, uh, rejecting God, the source of all life, will lead to death. That's the end result. That's the destiny. Uh, And we mustn't be fooled by that. We must not be fooled. Remember, in Genesis chapter two, uh, God said to Adam and Eve, "If you sin," uh, which is basically saying, "If you choose autonomy, self-rule over God's rule," right? That's what autonomy means—self-rule, right? So, if you choose self-rule over God's rule, God said, "If you sin, you will surely die." God said that—that's that, what's going to happen. What happened in Genesis three? The serpent came to Adam and Eve and said, "God, God's just kidding." Don't worry about it. He's just power hungry. He wants to keep you guys down, stop you reaching your full potential. You need to throw off the shackles of God so you can be all you were made to be. That's the basic message of our culture, isn't it? Uh, And he said, you're not going to die, just relax. This is the oldest trick in the book, the oldest lie in the book. Adam and Eve did die, shut out from the tree of life. Slavery to sin always leads to death always because in rejecting God we're like flowers that are picked out of a garden bed and we look impressive for a while our kids love picking flowers and they put them on the on the dining room table and they look magnificent for a time and then they die because they're not connected to their source of life anymore that's human beings we, we, we get caught up with our magnificence oh, I look so good yeah for a while but what about eternity Paul's saying If you offer yourself freely to God, Paul says, on the other hand, your destiny is very different. It's not death, uh, but eternal life. Notice in verse 22, uh, you experience a different kind of freedom, freedom from sin rather than freedom from righteousness, different present experience, increasing holiness rather than shame, uh, and different destiny, eternal life rather than death. So we can take the, the table down. But look in verse 23, Paul sums it all up. The wages of sin is death, he says. Which is to say that sin, uh, as a master, is very, very fair. Sin always pays those who have spent their life serving him. No one misses out. Like like a, a general paying his soldiers, general sin never fails to pay his soldiers exactly what they deserve. And what they deserve is death. That's what Paul's saying. The wages they deserve is death. For living a life of serving, of rejecting the source of all life and serving themselves, the wages they deserve is death. In contrast, those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord, Paul says, those who are united with Jesus by faith are receive something that they don't deserve. You notice that it's a gift of God a gracious gift of God, something that we don't deserve, the gift of eternal life. Eternal life, not because of what we've done, but simply because by faith, it's like we're flowers of being reconnected with the source of life. We are in Christ. And remember, look back in verse 9. What did Paul say about Christ? Christ died once for all to pay the penalty for our sins. Now he's raised from the dead and to never die again. So if you're united with him by faith, You too will be raised from the dead to never die again. This is the gift of God to you, eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So everybody serves somebody. And the only choice is who or what are you serving? Uh, Paul's urging you this day uh, to offer yourself perhaps for the first time, uh, but uh, even to keep offering yourself freely to God offer yourself to God not to sin because the sure and certain promise is that in doing so you'll find increasing freedom increasing holiness and in the end eternal life. Let's pray Our Gracious Father we thank you for this your word Uh, we do pray that you would work in our hearts this day I pray for those here who uh, perhaps uh, don't know Christ yet who who aren't Christians Uh, may they this day uh, see the error of their ways in, in uh, offering themselves in s- uh, service and slavery to sin. Uh, bring them, uh, Lord God, uh, to put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and be set free from the penalty and power of sin uh, and offer themselves to you. I pray for those of us who already do know Christ. Uh, may we, Father, keep offering ourselves to you uh, in, uh, moment by moment every day as we're confronted by all the temptations uh, that sin throws our way. Uh, Please help us in those moments to not be pushed around by sin, uh, but to increasingly, as we depend on your grace, uh, to be able to say no to sin and yes uh, to your righteous ways. Uh, For your glory we pray. Amen.